Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Welcome to Unlocking Innovation. Today's guest is Eduardo Luz. Eduardo is currently the Global Brand Officer and Chief Marketing Officer at Kraft Heinz. When he was president of the U.S. grocery business, Eduardo launched the company's Springboard Program, a platform to partner with founders and brands that will impact the future of food and beverage. He is now responsible for leading Kraft Heinz marketing efforts in the U.S., as well as creating a leading disruptive platform related to brand and innovation. Thanks for being here, Eduardo. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having us. So we're absolutely excited to to talk to you today. I'm curious about your career journey and where you started and how you got to where you are today. Sure. As you can see from this uh, accent, I'm, I'm from Brazil. Uh, grew up there. Um, you know, I have been uh, on the CPG industry my entire career. Um, have been with Kraft Heinz uh, since 2013 uh, in Pittsburgh when uh, Warren and uh, 3G bought Heinz. Mm-hmm. And um, moved to Chicago when we merged uh, with Kraft uh, more or less three years ago. Fantastic. And what attracted you to the CPG industry? Yeah, look, the, the consumer space to me is fascinating, right? It's the you know arts and science. You know, it's uh, when you uh, uh, when you're able to find something that pleases people and people choose uh, among so many options is so satisfying. And um, so I'm always um, fascinated about consumer behavior, and uh, that's what CPG, you know, is about. Fantastic. So we know you've been involved with the, the Springboard program at, at Kraft Heinz and Kraft Heinz. So how have you seen startups influencing the CPG space? Yeah. Look, the, we, we see, we're seeing huge fragmentation uh, on our space, uh, fragmentation of, of course, media, but also products and brands, technology. Um, and on a fragmented world, uh, innovation can come from anywhere, uh, including startups. Uh, and we're living, uh, so far at least, in an era of uh, cheap capital where you know, people can fund whatever enterprise they have uh, kind of easily or easier than in the past. So we, we decided as a company to embrace that um, and um, uh, get close to that world of fragmentation uh, and redefine our playbooks uh, to continue to thrive uh, as a company. Um, and Springboard is, is a, this attempt, right? How we can partner with founders and founding teams and emerging brands and understand what they're doing. And um, so that you can learn from there and, um, and um, you know, even um, uh, have some of their practices on our legacy businesses, uh, the way we're doing with Springboard. Uh, so that, you know, the, the influence is there and we believe that we will continue. Fantastic. So for those of the listeners who aren't familiar with Springboard, could you give a little bit of a background and overview of, of what uh, it is and what the goals are? Sure. We, um, we chose uh, or selected uh, four uh, platforms that we believe um, um, are continuing to disrupt the, the, the industry. And of course, we, we're calling natural and organic the first one, uh, specialty and craft, uh, second one then functional foods, and finally experiential uh, brands. Um, with that, uh, we did two things. We, we created this platform called Springboard, which is separated from the legacy business. Um, and then we, uh, 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 under Springboard, we will do uh, acquisitions. Uh, the way we just did the uh, Primal Kitchen, 
um, which is a, a brand from California and, uh, around, you know, health eating and, uh, you know, a very specific uh, eating behavior uh, and the primal methodology. Um, we manage some of our own legacy brands under Springboard, mm-hmm. um, like Devour, Jello Play, etc. Um, and we also have an incubation uh, program. Uh, we run the first class uh, last year in Chicago, and we'll have probably two classes per year, spring and fall. And um, we are in the process of recruiting the second class uh, to start in the spring in Chicago. Fantastic. So you mentioned about eating habits, and, and I'm assuming that revolves around kind of a data play, essentially. How important is data when it comes to thinking about the future of CPG and how people interact with food? Well, I, I think it's it's key, right? We we, we praise ourselves to be a data driven company. Um, um, and uh, we try to inform our decisions by data as much as possible. Uh, having said that, um, the consumer space is arts and science, right? Data will take you only so far. Uh, there's always a component of, uh, you know, common sense, of uh, good taste um, there. And it's also, there is, a, there is a, you know, there are elements that very, are very hard to measure with data. You know, h- how you measure authenticity, how you measure, you know, if something is really, uh, legit uh, in the eyes of consumers. Um, so, and, and you know, w- when you talk to those smaller companies that usually don't have access to data to begin with, um, they have to deal with their you know uh, gut feeling, their you know instincts, and fundamentally what they believe in in terms of what their brand's uh, purpose is. Um, and that's a huge learning for us. Also, starts with belief, I guess. It's interesting you say that because it's you think about you know. Thanksgiving, or even recipes that are that are passed down from different generations. I, I had a scenario a couple of weeks back where I was asking um, if somebody knew what a magic cookie bar was, and it's interesting because I, they hadn't heard of it before. But as soon as I described the ingredients, they instantly knew what it was. It was kind of the, the chocolate with graham crackers and coconut sprinkles at the top, but they had a completely different name for it. And it was just so interesting that, that people have this really strong affinity towards specific foods based on, you know, how their grandmother made it or how someone else made it. And you're right in terms of the data, the data can't capture everything. It can never really capture, you know, that feeling that I had in my grandmother's kitchen when she would make these great, fantastic cookies. Um, but it was so interesting how, how other people have different names for them, especially uh, regionally. So I'm, I'm curious uh, specific about innovation at Kraft Heinz and, and, the, the different approaches that you might take compared to, to larger organizations. Obviously, you have this vast career in CPG. How does Kraft Heinz differ in terms of its approach to innovation? Yeah, look, um, we, we try to be uh, principle-based. Um, so we, we believe uh, uh, that innovation should start with understanding consumers' pain points about uh, you know, things that they hire into their lives uh, today and how you can improve that. Um, and uh, make their circumstances better so that they hire whatever you're offering and fire something else uh, into their lives. Um, this approach, uh, which you call, we call the jobs approach, um, uh, it forces us to be and think uh, agnostically of category. Um, so we, think, we try to think about the consumer first. Uh, and then whatever solution we bring, uh, we'll, we'll you know, find out or figure out later um, what to be the brand or the category. Sometimes when you do that, um, we even create new categories. We, you know, thinking this way 
um, we came up with um, a breakfast solution uh, that uh, you crack an egg on a cup and you have an omelet, uh, which is completely fresh and clean, done in two minutes. Um, you know, and this solves a huge pain point because people don't have time in the mornings, but they, they, they want to have something, you know, nice and clean and feeling uh, before they leave the house. So we came up with a solution that resonated uh, heavily, but, you know, frankly, we didn't have a brand that would fit. And no problem. We launched something that we called Just Crack an Egg. So it's a very uh, telegraphic uh, message there, and it's doing very well. Um, sometimes uh, 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 it's more closing. Sometimes the solution is, okay, you know, people want to eat, you know, uh, um, with organic ingredients. Therefore, you know, let's launch Heinz Ketchup Organic. That's more straightforward. So, but it, it, regardless of the category, it starts with the consumer uh, circumstance and uh, the job that we can do in, on their behalf. So we, 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 we have this approach across the company. And the other thing that we do is um, we try to give a lot of uh, leeway, of freedom for our teams to operate. Uh, we have 200 brands in 125 countries. Um, and we, are, we really believe in giving what we call ownership to those brand teams to operate. Um, so what we try to do innovation-wise is to make sure that the principles are clear enough. Uh, we capture those principles in playbooks uh, that we, we give to the teams, and we let them run it with the ball, right? And uh, we believe this approach gives us uh, more agility, more ownership, more accountability to the end results, and we are happy with this, uh, this setup. Fantastic. And in the, I love the just crack an egg because I spend quite a bit of time cleaning up egg yolk on my counter. There you so go. <laughs> there you go. Anything that can simplify that, that'd be great. But you did say something that I, I, I want to make sure the listeners kind of um, key in on because it, I think it's a very important topic. You know, Clay Christensen, that the far, famous Harvard professor, kind of coined that jobs to be done right. area. And, and you're saying how much that's leveraged within the organization. For those who aren't as familiar with it, can you just kind of explain a little bit more what that is and what it means for, for your organization and how you've used that? Sure. Well, the, the way we, we see that is, is simple. You just put yourselves on the shoes of the consumer and have like a deep understanding of the um, things that they hire into their lives to live the way they want to live, right? Um, if you do that, and, and the exercise, and you know, Professor Christensen, you know, says that every time, is not trivial. You have to really, really pay attention, and sometimes think long and hard about what people are doing on their choices. But when you're able to articulate that clearly, um, the avenues of possibilities to improve their circumstances with innovation are just much more clear. Um, so what we try to give to our teams is is to equip them on how to uh, ask this, those questions and um, which kind of, um, you know, checklists and uh, 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 how they should uh, uh, uncover uh, behavior, uh, which is sometimes uh, underneath the surface. Um, and then if they're equipped to do that on our model, they will be able to have or make the best decision on behalf of their brands uh, to, make, to come up with innovation. In the U.S., in Canada, in the U.K., in Brazil, we operate in so many countries. I love it. But it's the same principle. Absolutely. And what I love about that approach is that it really personifies 
the process for tasks to be done because the, the whole concept is you know everybody hires something to do something for them as opposed to just thinking about it from you hire a person you actually hire a product or even a service to help you achieve something or, or drive something so right. that's fascinating and um, the fact that it can scale. Uh, across various countries is, is something that's a part of that. So I actually wanted to, to transition and talk a little bit about um, scalability. So um, part of the scaling efforts, I guess, put in perspective, how big is Kraft Heinz? Um, if, if you were to just kind of subscribe to, 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 to how many people are in the organization total, you know, how, how many t- different types of locations you have across the globe. Right. So, so we are, you know, uh, a large uh, food and beverages uh, company, uh, one of the top three to five uh, in the U.S. and globally. Um, we have 200 brands in um, 125 countries. So it's, it's a lot of uh, food and beverages out there, everywhere. That's right. Yeah. So on the innovation front, how, you mentioned a couple countries that really adopt this philosophy. How does innovation scale? How do you ensure that there is consistency across the board with how people think about solving problems for the consumer? Right. So I, I you know, I, I uh, that's part of uh, my new job as a, a global brand officer. I, you know, I'm doing that since uh, August, September last year. Um, we did a couple of things. Uh, you know, I assemble a team of um, international folks uh, that represents every key geography and zone that we have, called zones uh, in Latin America, Europe, Asia, etc. We came up um, with um, um, a brand-building mission and 10 principles that we believe uh, should represent the way we should operate. Um, and we did that very explicitly and published that to the company, to the organization, um, back in November, December. And uh, it starts with our brand-building mission. And, uh, you know, the, the jobs thing is so important to us. That's the first part of our mission, which is uh, uh, to help people make progress in their lives uh, by building brands that are timely in culture. So this mission represents the what? You know, the just crack an egg, <laughs> not to have the egg go in your desk, but the second part, being timely in culture, is about the values that those brands should manifest. And, and, and more and more, as we know, uh, consumers want to choose brands where they can espouse uh, values. They share values, right? It's not only the what, it's also about the, you know, the how and the why. Um, and then w- when we landed the principles, um, what we did to scale up that, we... Um, translated the principles into um, decision frameworks. So um, for every key dimension of branding that our teams around the globe are involved in, could be design, could be media, could be communications, could be innovation, could be renovation, um, we want to keep them, as I said, uh, still in charge of whatever decision, but we want to inform them about those decisions uh, and help them make decisions that are aligned with the principles that we believe in. So what we did to scale, we did two things. We published all that. Uh, we call those things our playbooks. Um, we just cascaded those playbooks uh, in December. <laughs> I went around the globe with, uh, with my team talking to everybody um, across the world in our company. Um, and then we, we enforced that in two ways, right? We, we have uh, something that we call inspiration rooms, every month where we spend a full day in every uh, geography uh, going deep into one of the dimensions that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, next, next week uh, we have a des- design day in the U.S. 
So all the marketeers go to a place and we talk the whole day about design with external people, etc. So we call that inspiration. The second thing that we do, we created, um, because we're competitive folks, we created something that we call the marketing championship. So we have, um, of the 200 brands, we have around 100 of them competing in a championship where uh, they'll be incentivized uh, to converge to those principles. Um, we're not going to force them. Uh, and results uh, speaks louder than everything else. But if they do, there'll be cool things uh, they, they could get uh, with the results that they get. You know, uh, the winning team goes to a can or, you know, go to a, you know, a very nice development course in Kellogg or Harvard or Booth. Um, and we just launched this championship globally uh, now in January. So in isp- inspiration, as we call it, and the championship to uh, scale up those principles. I love it. It sounds like my type of event. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's cool. Okay. Inspiration <laughs> in the design. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, so it, can you share a, a favorite success story about innovation at Kraft Heinz? Sure. Look, uh, yeah, the, 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 again, the rea- reality of this business is that uh, we have um, a couple of very cool success stories. We have a couple of flops also. That's life. We have to recognize that and try to learn. Um, I like very much the uh, devour story. Um, you know, we Devour is a, is a new brand. We launched Devour back in 2008, late 16. Um, and the insight was very simple. Um, you know, we had, uh, as a legacy business, um, a meals business, frozen meals business. We, and this business is, is built on convenience. Yeah, you have a, a meal in, in, in two minutes, that's it, right? And then we, we noticed that most, if not all, of the brands and offerings uh, out there were targeted to either families or, or women, right? And, you know, of course, you know, young guys probably usually don't cook or don't, don't know, don't have the, uh, the skills to cook. And we decided to launch a brand targeted to this kind of audience, which is, you know, younger guys. Um, on a very, you know, uh, uh, guy-centric uh, way. Uh, the food, the taste, the amount of food, the amount of meat, the tone of voice of the brand, etc. Uh, it, it is really resonating. So people really identify with that, and uh, we're very happy with uh, what we're seeing there. And, you know, it proved to be very incremental, not only to us, but to the category, uh, which, which shows that if you have, uh, innovation-wise, a very specific target in mind, and stay consistent in terms of values, offering, solutions, jobs that we are trying to solve for that audience, it, 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 it works. So that, that's what I like about this. It's not only innovation, it's also the branding and the tone of voice and, and the whole package. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. You mentioned a couple of flops. Um, any ones that uh, worth mentioning that uh, w- were maybe lessons learned specifically about uh, ways that you turned a failure into a success? Sure. Look, even within a success story like Devour, uh, I'll give the same example as a flop, right? Um, uh, of the things that we launched there in the beginning uh, on Devour, uh, we launched um, a mini pizza, which was amazing, fantastic uh, product, uh, completely um, aligned with the data that we had in terms of what people wanted to eat and all that, but it flopped. And then um, we went to investigate what happened, and uh, the conclusion was simple. You know, the, the, the way people uh, 
shop for pizza on a supermarket is not where we put it. We put it with, uh, you know, the traditional meals that people put in the microwave. Mm. And people will never think about pizza on that place of the store. It's a very basic insight, but it didn't occur to us right. uh, before launching, right? So we, um, you know, we learned from that, and we um, we are about to correct uh, that mistake. Uh, and uh, you know, in our culture, it's all about, you know, trying to learn from what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, try not re- repeat the same mistake twice. Uh, and we, I think, we are about to correct that mistake with Devour uh, this year uh, on uh, on the pizzas, which is a big category for us. Fantastic. And how was that uncovered? Was it a scenario where it just, it, was it feedback that came in? Was it kind of a deep dive into, you know, the traffic patterns within various stores? Yeah, the, the, way, the way we operate is, as I said, we give a lot of leeway to the teams, but we try to be very disciplined in terms of the way we uh, scrutinize the business. Um, so, you know, every Monday we sit down with our teams in the morning and to see what's happening uh, in the week, in the month. So it's a very frequent assessment of what's happening. Um, and then with that, over time, you become very proficient in terms of the business doing uh, about the data. You don't have to open a presentation. You just talk about the business with numbers in your head, which, which helps. Um, and, um, um, you know, when we do that on a very frequent basis, very, very soon, in a matter of few weeks, you kind of know what's working, what's not working. But if things are not working, we just say, okay, why not? And then you start to hypothesize. Is it the price? Is it the product? Is it the package? Is it the location? Um, and then you start to cross in the, uh, checking the boxes. And, you know, in, in, in that example of devouring mini pizzas was basically the location. All this talk of mini pizzas is making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to shift the discussion a little bit to, uh, to technology. Sure. Um, within your role as CMO, what technologies are you most excited about in terms of impacting your specific uh, area? Yeah, look, I, I am, I am uh, 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 jealous and uh, fascinating by the way, uh, you know, high-tech companies operate because they, they can, given the nature of what, you know, their products, right, and offerings is all digital, they can very, very quickly come up with something new, uh, put out there, uh, you know, a minimum viable prototype, test what's happening, adjust, collect feedback, uh, and then, you know, scale up whatever it's working, right? Um, so, and I, and I call that approach an agile or whatever num- number name you want to, to give it. Um, what I'm pushing my team is how do we, you know, uh, usually what we do and serve is like, you know, physical products, Right. Uh, how do we uh, uh, how do we um, incorporate that thinking and that approach in the world of real things, right? Um, so I'm 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 very interested in that kind of approach in terms of how you make our whole um, cycle on from idea to prototypes to products to scale to shelf or or to sites in the case of e-commerce much faster. And how do we adjust our infrastructure, supply chain, in logistics, etc., to deal with that approach? So it's tougher, of course. It's much tougher than create an app and then release the app. Sure. But it's not impossible. So we, we, we are finding some promising avenues for us uh, on that approach of Agile. Um, and we will continue. Uh, and, you know, this will uh, enable us to um, 
uh, launch things at a, a smaller scale, uh, test things in market, collect feedback from, from consumers, adapt or pivot, and then scale. If you can unlock that, I think it's, it's it can be very interesting for a company like us. Fantastic. So, speaking of kind of the future in in, in speed and in efficiency, if you had to make a bold prediction about the future of CPG or marketing, uh, what would it be? Bold prediction. Okay. Um, look, g- given given what we believe in terms of um, um, brands and um, you know help people make progress on their lives. Um, I think that brands that have a clear point of view beyond just communications, sometimes beyond just commerce, and manifest this point of view consistently, those brands will thrive. Brands who don't, they will struggle. I'll give you an example. We, um, we have a, one of our largest brands called Kraft, of course. Um, and we uh, decided that uh, Kraft's mission uh, and why craft exists in the, in the world is to help uh, parents, especially uh, in moments of stress, right? Um, so you know your, your kid is throwing a tantrum, you know, uh, uh, melted cheese is uh, is your friend, or mac and cheese, etc. Um, this has to manifest itself beyond just communications. Uh, so, for instance, we we saw what what's happening with the um, uh, government shutdown. Right now, and we notice, of course, that a lot of uh, federal workers uh, are going without a paycheck for an extended period of time now. And we said, look, uh, if our mission is about helping families in moments of stress, this is probably the number one stress, right? You don't have a paycheck. Let's come up with um, with something to help those folks. And we we opened uh, this week um, a grocery store in DC where you don't have to pay uh, if you're a federal worker without a paycheck. You go there, collect products, uh, and, you know, if you can, later, uh, uh, contribute to a charity. And that's helping people beyond communications on a real way. Mm-hmm. So if brands can do that on a, on a, on a you know, legit uh, and um, real perspective, not only talking about that, but walking the talk the way Kraft is doing now, uh, I think that's the future uh, of um, successful CPG companies or, or brands. What a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. So last question of the day, most important question of the day. What's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? <laughs> um, well, I think Instagram is, is, is becoming more and more uh, important to, to brands, uh, giving consumer behavior. So I'll, I'll say Instagram, but from a professional perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we really appreciate your time and spending time with us today. Um, if there's any place that um, the listeners can either follow you online or social media, um, if, you, if you'd like to share that, feel free to, to let us know where, where some of the followers can follow you. Sure. I, I, I use uh, LinkedIn, uh, and I, I try to, uh, to post, uh, you know, uh, cool stuff that you're doing there, things that we're proud of. And, uh, you know, I, I try to, to keep uh, our teams and folks outside updated about our progresses. Fantastic. Well, Eduardo, thank you again for your time. Thanks, Adam. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.